Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we have been watching. I'm Aaron. I'm James. And today we're talking about the game Monster Train, developed by Shiny Shoe and published by Good Shepherd Entertainment. It was released in May of 2020, uh, I believe on Steam and uh, maybe Xbox Game Pass. There was a DLC called The Last Divinity, which came out in March 2021. And we played the Nintendo Switch version, which includes both the base game and the DLC. We sure did. And this seems to be like a common model that some, as a non-PC gamer, I get sick of where such great games I hear about are released only for like Steam. And then they come out for Switch like two years later. But what I don't mind is that typically it gets a package like this where you get all the DLC bundled in. Um, but yeah, it's, it can be very annoying. I do like that. And I guess it's my own damn fault because I, you know, I have steam, I have a computer. I just like enjoy playing games on a console, sitting on a couch. I, I mean, I sit at my desk all day. I work from home and I don't really want to continue sitting at that desk playing PC games after work. So, yeah, I get that. That's, um, yeah. do you ever, do you ever, uh, like leave like nasty comments on steam? No, I've never are done you, that once. Are you are you ever really like are you kind of a punk on Steam a little bit? No. I'm so like, like my a, Steam presence a, is minimal. You're not a steampunk. <laughs> I, <see. laughs> yeah. I think we should just um, stop the let's move on. Right now. <laughs> All right. Um so uh we couldn't find that much about the development of this game, even though um it's it's quite popular as we'll get to. It was gifted um, uh, gifted to us by the forces of hell. And yeah, and we we dare not question. Where <laughs> we dare not from the depths below. Yeah, uh, but it did begin uh, life as a tower defense style game, um, which you can definitely see the DNA of. Absolutely, in this game. I mean, it kind um, of is still tower defense style game, right? It is just um, it kind of morphed into like this card based structure, uh, and instead of a tower, you're on a train. Uh, but again, similarly, three levels. Uh, I'm not super into tower defense style games, uh, but I'm obsessed with this. Do you think that more video games could be made better if they incorporated a train or were put entirely on a train? Well, Final Fantasy uh, 13, which is very divisive, began on a train. That is true. So, uh, but Final uh, Fantasy VII, very popular, also began on a train. Well, I mean, th there's this like, th some people have this theory that any movie that begins with a wedding is a good, ends up being a really good movie. And like Pirates of the Caribbean, too. <laughs> <laughs> just like that. Damn, man, that the whole theory is just debunked right away, yeah, just by you yeah. right now. I was going to say Godfather is a good example, but, you know, I was just searching for examples that supported that theory. I was searching for negative examples. Well, that's what you should do. Um, and I'm glad you did it. However, I, I wonder if more games would be better if they started on a train or maybe entirely took place on a train. That's my question to you. That's my thing to ponder. Pokemon on a train. They had that in black and white. I would do that. OK. Yeah. What if like the entire game took place on a train, though? What like would a like Snowpiercer Pokemon game? Basically, uh, yeah. <laughs> along like when you find out that they're just eating Pokemon the entire time. Yeah, would it become a real class struggle? It would. It would. It, it really would. Um, and it yeah. would be really devastating for Ash, who's kind of like trapped in the back. 
uh, who's trying to lead a revolt, find out that he has been eating Pokemon the entire time as part of the supplements they're given. Do you think he just plucks one petal from Ivysaur to eat a day? If like he needs like a little bit of a garnish. Yeah. Um, he doesn't strike me as a complete um, psychopath like that. But True. what do you think? I think we should talk about the reception of the game. What do you think? <laughs> I was enjoying the tangent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do it. I've got plenty more tangents planned. Please. <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, did people like this? Yeah, people liked it a lot. Uh, it was nominated for the 2020 Game Awards for a strategy puzzle game. It lost to who gives a shit. Yeah, um, I mean, it should have won is the answer. Is really the answer. I And this is a segue into the history of the game. So I, I don't, I, I started playing this game. I already lost like track like three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. It was a game that's been on my radar since probably early 2021. And you, I forgot when you got into it, but then you also started telling me to play it. Or I saw you kind of hop on switch online, start playing it. And I was like, okay, I, I, it's funny, like you play so many games and I see the games you play because I, you know, we're friends on Switch and I can see when you hop online and there are like, I've like trained myself to know when there's a game that you're playing, I'm like, I will not like that game. I'm not even going to ask you about it. <laughs> uh, and then there's other games where I'm like, Aaron's playing this game and I very much like, I think our video game tastes align in a lot of ways. Yeah. I should really ask him about this. So it's either, so I, I feel like I'll send you a text where I not necessarily criticize what you're playing but usually comment on the fact that you're playing yet another game like skyrim (laughs) (laughs) or i'll see you like i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if i texted you about monster train or you just brought it up and probably because i could see this is this is the type of game where you would want to be talking about it this is the kind of game where you just want to run up to people on the street and grab them by the lapels and shake them and say play monster train (laughs) uh because it's so good that's how i feel um I began playing the game uh, when it first came out for Switch. Uh, it was on my radar. I can't remember why. I think I just saw a story that it was coming out. And then it had won all these awards. Um, and uh, I had tried uh, to get into you know, online deck building games before, like Hearthstone, things like that. Um, and I could never really get into it. Uh, I like card games. I like collectible card games. But uh, for some reason, like a digital format doesn't really work for me. Unless it's something like, hmm. you know, the game version of Yu-Gi-Oh! Or the Pokemon trading card game. But um, things like, especially Hearthstone, like rogue, roguelite, like, kind of card games, no thank you. Um, and, like, deck building card games, no thank you. But I started playing this game based on kind of the hype a little bit. And was blown away. There's just so much to, to do and unlock. And especially with the DLC, uh, the extra clan is crazy. So I, I really dove into it. And we'll talk about it, but... You can do a run of this game <clears throat> in about 20 minutes. And uh, that 20 minutes will be kind of, you're, you're fully, fully engaged and you can do a complete run and still be done in a relatively short amount of time. I very rarely play one run. Uh, I usually yeah. do like five in a it's, row. It's very addicting. I've, I've come into the game, turning it on, like I got 20 minutes before bed. I'm going to play one run and then I'm up for an hour. Exactly. Um, And so that's what happened with me. I just kind of fell into it and loved it, unlocked everything. And uh, I still go back to it pretty, pretty frequently. Um, I I, I think it's funny, though. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, I was just going to say about uh, my gaming taste. I I 
gonna sometimes scroll through my own because I'm like, what am I even doing? And it'll be like <laughs> Splatoon, 65 hours, Monster Train, 35 hours, Xenoblade Chronicles, 25 hours. And I'm just like, why am I in the middle of all of these? <laughs> yeah. Although I guess Splatoon isn't a one player game. We we've talked about we both got our our maybe our gaming uh, issues that you start yeah. a lot of games and don't finish them or you're just in the middle of a lot of games and I am like too scared to start games yeah. in general. I'm just like tap, tap, tapping away at like seven games at a time. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you not to really put you on the spot, but like you, you talked briefly about this, I think when we did Pokemon training card game, but I, I really, I wanted to know not necessarily your history with card games in general, but just it's kind of like, what do you love most about card based games? And what do you like more about, I'm not sure if you have like a lot of, cause you mentioned you don't really play digitally, but what do you like about this game as a card game player more than others? Because this is my like first, I mean, I've played card games in general. I think this might be my first digital card based game, unless you count Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, which I guess you <laughs> kind of can, but not really. You can. Um, I think this might be my first one. And it was one that like, I wasn't sure if I'd be into it, but I, I love, I feel like in my uh, later adult life, not late life but like you know as an adult like a 30 something like i, I mean, like you're, games you're in trouble if this is late in life for you yeah well yeah. i mean maybe centuries ago it would have been but just i i really enjoy games you could pick up and play like this that are just super addicting and i mean that sometimes it's a huge problem um but i i really enjoyed this and like the last card game i had played before this was a game that you introduced me to Keyforge, or you and brian yeah yeah. um so yeah what 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 do you like about this game compared to other card games both digital and not digital uh i think for me card games strike a very fine line uh they have to be uh <clears throat> crunchy enough in terms of mechanics to keep my interest mm -hmm. um but at the same time not so overwhelming with rules that you just kind of get lost in the mire of it mm -hmm. i think something like hearthstone was just a bit too simple for me to really get into and Anyone who plays Hearthstone is now getting ready to set me on fire and kill me for saying that. But <laughs> I found it to be a little too simplistic. Um, something like Yu-Gi-Oh, which I own like two Yu-Gi-Oh games on the Switch because I'm sick. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh now at this point in its lifespan, there are 48 billion rules and 27 million cards and you play a game and things happen. And you don't even know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, that's way too much, right? Yeah. So I think... This game, I think the Pokemon trading card game are actually kind of the perfect games for cards. Uh, they're both strategic enough to be interesting while yeah. also not so dense that they're inaccessible, I guess. What's what's funny to me is that this game is like both extremely overwhelming yet extremely accessible. I think there is so much this game is doing. Like I would say this has more going on than any card game I've ever played. And again, that's very limited card game experience. But I don't true. feel like I don't have a good grasp on the game until, well, certain certain aspects of the game that we'll get into make me feel like it's one of the games. This is the kind of game that I feel like a god sometimes, and then I am extremely humbled like a second later. Right. And that's part of it, too. One of the qualities that I think make a good game in general and make a good card game is, and we talked about this before, but the idea of rubber banding, right? Yes. Something like Mario Kart, you can go from last to first, and the game is kind of designed to, to help you through that. Much in the same way in this game, you can really rubber band. You can be, you know, completely getting crushed. And then with a couple good draws and plays, you can completely turn it around on the enemy. 
alternatively, there'll be times when you just get crushed, which um, you can tell us about later with the DLC. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of lot of stories. Just basically runs of like dominating everything, almost every battle, and then getting crushed like you have no idea what you're doing. But it seems insurmountable, yeah. and that's yeah. We'll we'll get into it. But yeah, so I mean, I think it's 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 weird, but it's both dense and accessible. Yes, I would agree. And I would also say, let's just say right now, and we'll probably say it again, we both really recommend this game. Uh, yeah, if you like no. this genre, which we'll explain in a second, um, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I would even expand it beyond that. I think if you just like strategic games, I yes. think there's a lot to love here. Yes, agreed. Um, and I'm already trying to get various friends to play it, including Brian, who he should, you know, he doesn't play a lot of games, but yeah. I think this would be worth his time. Um, especially the story, right? The story is pretty compelling. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the story. Yeah. So, um, again, I think story was maybe an afterthought for them. Uh, I mean, but it's, that's fine. I don't go into a game like this expecting no. a gripping story. No, no. but um, basically you control demons, which are on a train uh, and they want to reach the center of hell, um, basically to relight hell because hell is frozen at the center. So armies of different types of angels are attempting to stop you as you traverse each circle of hell. When we say angels, some of them look like traditional angels with wings. Sometimes they're just kind of dudes um, wearing white. And sometimes um, they just straight up look evil, like not and, really yeah. angel-like. They're just like... They frequently look evil. Yeah. Or like weird creepy bird people. Um, that that but, is a very common aesthetic in this game is creepy bird things. That's true. It's like, where did, where did they get, how did they get there? Angels fly, birds also fly, thus angels equals birds. Also, I've realized there are no demons with wings, right? Do you oh. know any monsters with wings? I mean, there are some bugs, if that counts, there's but there's no like traditional things. like demons with wings. What no. happened? How did these demons end up wingless and all these angels, all these bird angels flying around I everywhere? Don't, I don't all willy know. nilly. Um, but so at the top of your train is your pyre. That's the engine in the train. Gameplay wise, that's kind of your help. And lore wise, that's what's going to relight the fire at the center of hell. <clears throat> so that's what the angels are looking to put out. There is, you know, we joke that there's not a lot of story and I don't think there's a lot of story, but there is a lot of flavor text um, about the angels and personalities of certain clans. Um, like before a lot of fights, you get oftentimes a little flavor text about who you're fighting and what they're like. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's no final fantasy 13. I'll tell you, <laughs> which is on steam, which is the only way that I could play it. If I want to experience that game for the first time. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> um, tell us about, tell us about yeah. gameplay a little bit. So, so this is a card based roguelike. I think also the subgenre is called deck building road roguelike. And yeah. so this, I'm not going to talk about roguelikes. Generally, that's too long of a conversation. It's too broad of a genre. But the idea of like a deck building roguelike is you you generally, and this is this game adds a little bit of its own flavor to this, but generally you start with pre-established cards kind of dictated by initial choices you make up front, sometimes you know, selecting an initial like base deck or clan that establishes what kind of cards you get. Um, and you get the ability to add cards to your deck as you go. But the real main goal is kind of creating useful synergies between your cards and kind of finding like a rhythm of like, you know, your units that are attacking versus like the support spells and other cards that you get and kind of using those in combination to find and exploit uh, enemy weaknesses. And 
usually these games are defined by turn-based combat um or the turn-based combat is kind of defined by the cards you play that is and there is a level of randomness in the cards you pick up the enemies and bosses you encounter they're all usually selected from a certain pool so it's not like it's going to be the most jarringly different experience every time um also uh what's what's fair about monster train is when you start a run, you get to see exactly which bosses you'll be up against later. Yes. Um, which is very fair because you can then tailor your uh, deck style to combat those bosses. It is. And I will say right now that I don't do that. I don't, I think I've only done it once. <laughs> I, I think I just, I really have not had that much of a problem with this game until I st- started trying to do the DLC content. And the now only- I feel like I need to be planning like this. The only time I've done that is when, for example, you can see that at the end, the Seraph you're going to fight has, uh, you know, like spell drain. And yeah. if you pick Stygian Guard, it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to invest all that, you know, all that gold or all that, those resources into that's a good point. my spells. That, that's a very good point. And I definitely, there there are times where I will get trapped in that, that like maybe that exact same situation. Because I, very early in my playing of this game, I would try to abuse spells and Stygian Guard as a support or lead uh, main clan. And I'd get to those bosses like, wait, wait, wait a second. And what's also funny is that it took me until like the fifth time of fighting those enemies that have stealth to realize that I should stop putting enemies or putting my guys on the, on the bottom level of the train. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, I just just keep like banging my head against the wall and like not learning anything from my experiences. But that's just because this game can be played very quickly, as you mentioned. And I think all the better for it. Um, But sometimes I just kind of, it's like, it's a strategy game, but it's also like a game where I could kind of zone out. And I love that about it. Yeah, we should mention that you can turn up the speed. I think there's four settings. And at the max setting, the game becomes essentially a blur. Yeah. Um, but once you kind of know the ins and outs of the game, you actually can navigate the game that way. Yeah, very much so. Um, so I mentioned that we start with pre-established cards. So initially what you do is you select a main clan. We'll explain a little bit more about those in a bit. And a support clan. And this is all from this pool of, well, certain amount of limited amount of clans at first, and you can unlock some. And you also select one of two champions for your main clan. And you eventually only have one as an option that you can unlock a a second champion for each clan as you go, as you play, get more experience with that clan. And together, the clans that you select and their associated cards make up this part of your unique deck for that run. And so I'll, I'll turn it over to you in a second, but just before... We get into that. So just to visualize this game board. So each battle takes place on the train. There are four levels to the train, um, a third uh, of the the three main levels and then the fourth level, the highest level, which is where your pyre is. You can place your units on any of the of the first three levels. You cannot place units on the fourth level. Enemies will basically start enter the train at the bottom. Sometimes every once in a while they will skip levels and appear higher up and your basic basic goal is to stop them from reaching the pyre if they get to the pyre they will attack the pyre and the kind of the pyre pyre will fight back on its own in its own kind of like turn-based combat and it will continue until either the pyre is dead or the enemies that are on that level are dead yes and it should be noted that your pyre uh the health does not regenerate uh from fight to fight it will remain at the level it's at unless you find a special location yes um so let's talk about clans a little bit yeah um so each clan like you said comes with a certain number of pre-selected cards 
Um, however, you can level up your clans uh, to level 10, I believe, for each one. Yes. As you level them up, like you mentioned, uh, you get access to new cards for your clan, um, which really beefs up your gameplay possibilities. And, and, uh, and I would say overall, they're like, I've, I don't think I've encountered many new cards to unlock that I'm like, this card sucks. I'm never going to use this. Yeah, I will say that I believe they get more situational. Um, they definitely get more powerful, but it feels like sometimes they get more situational the higher you level up. Yeah, I guess that is, is to, you- to clarify, I guess, like maybe there are some that I think are very cool in concept, but they don't jibe with the kind of strategies that I typically like to implement. So I might yeah, not I might exactly. not use them. Yeah. So all cards have a pyre cost, um, meaning that you have to balance which cards to play with what you're able to pay for. And by pyre, we don't mean the pyre at the top of your train. Um, pyre is a renewable resource you get each round. Um, I believe you start with three. Yes. So for example, if you have a hand of five and you want to mm-hmm. summon a monster, that monster may cost two. Um, and you maybe want to play a couple spells, but each spell costs one. Um, that means you can really only play that monster in one spell. There are certain cards that cost zero, um, and there are certain cards that cost, you know, three, four, five. Um, yeah. But that's the idea, is kind of that balance between what you can pay for um, and the strategy you want to play with. Yes. So those cards can be either monsters or spells. Um, all monsters have an attack rating and a health rating, which are different. Um, think maybe Magic the Gathering. It's, it's similar. Um, they might also have an armor rating. Those are for certain units. Um, you can have your creatures get armor depending on certain abilities. Um, and armor does regenerate, health does not. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I believe that's right. And then each kind of unit also has a, I forgot what they call it in the game, but it's essentially like how many, each floor has a limited amount of space that can be taken up by units. You can't just place an infinite amount of units on a particular level. And each unit, depending on maybe how big or how powerful they are, might have, you know, might have a size of one or two or three. And I think each level starts, you can only put up to five. So like if you have a a unit that takes up three spaces and a unit that takes up two, you can only put those two on one floor and you can't add any other units. But like you mentioned, like the, the idea of a renewable resource for Pyre that dictates, you know, what kind of cards you can play during, you know, how many cards you can play during the turn and you start with three you have the ability to find cards or kind of like between battle, like power-ups that allow you to boost the amount of pyre you get per turn and also maybe boost how many units you can put or how much space you have to put units on each level. What's hilarious about that is, you know, you're able to accommodate additional units on each floor, <laughs> but the floor doesn't actually change. Yeah. So it'll be like, guys, you could have all fit here if you just tried earlier. Yeah. Um, additionally, some cards, mainly spell cards, uh, I think exclusively spell cards are consumed. So that means that once they're used, they do not rotate back into your deck or discard pile. Yeah. Um, these are particularly powerful abilities typically, um, and enemies can force you to consume cards as well. Um, after there are three main bosses, um, you fight every round, but they're kind of three central bosses. After each of them, you are allowed to upgrade one factor of your train. So that could be the floor size, like you mentioned. It could be the pyre you earn per turn, or it could be drawing an extra card into your hand each turn. Um, is there any one of these three that you find yourself gravitating towards? 
Um, it depends on who I'm playing with, but I can tell you, I have never once ever taken draw an extra card in my hand no. each turn. <laughs> no, never. never. I think once. I, I actually think that not, not to, to get ahead of myself, but like, this is a almost what doesn't work in the sense that it, I think it is completely useless. I've never once felt like, man, if only I had an extra card in my hand. I um, could see maybe one of the clans it being useful, but other than that, not really. Um, the Umbra? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But but ultimately, I, I, I think I definitely gravitate towards Pyre per turn. That is, depending on what clan I'm playing with, I mean, most clans, that is what I'm taking the first time. You get to do this like twice per run. You get th- two opportunities to do this. You're in right. Particular. It's, it's two, not three. And you... I, yeah, I, I would say Pyre usually ends up being something I need, but every once in a while, and we'll get into this, like you can, there are other ways that you can kind of improve the size of the floor and how much Pyre you get per turn without needing one of these upgrades. So if let's say you get an artifact, we'll explain what those are in, in a bit, that reduces the Pyre per unit, the Pyre requirement per unit, you might not take the Pyre per turn upgrade. You might probably in that case take the size upgrade exactly yeah um and then also you gain access to one card per clan um once you like beat win a fight um and you get an option of three um and those become better and better as you level your clans up the the additional cards you can add it should also be noted that you don't have to take a card you're able to opt out and gain money instead um, frequently on runs, the last couple of battles, I will just opt for money uh, to buy artifacts. How about yeah, you? artifacts are, oh man, they are huge. And some Tell of them it. are so bad and so useless, even <laughs> on like regular runs. And I didn't realize how bad some of them were until I started doing covenant runs. But man, are some of them like well, just so good. And some of them are just absolutely awful. Like well, tell almost us like they, they, they put yeah. them in like knowing you're not going to take them. They just put them in as like a kind of like a fuck you, like, ha you have to take the other one now because this one sucks so bad. Or they're, yeah, I, for some of them, I feel like I'm just not smart enough to figure out how they could be useful because uh, I'm sure there's yeah. some, some, you know, slim chance that it could be worth your time. Um, but I just, I don't feel like trying to figure those out. I, 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 I agree with you. There, there are some where I'm like, I don't, I probably could figure this out if I try, but I don't want to. Um, So artifacts are items you receive or buy that augment your run in some particular way. Like an example would be something that gives your pyre 20 armor each battle or, and we'll explain, you know, certain abilities of certain um, clan units will trigger twice instead of once. Um, some of my favorites are like, you know, there's a 25% chance or 50% chance of your, of enemy units entering the train, like on floor one in a daze or with like spell or melee weakness. And in a daze, like that means they can't attack the first turn if they get dazed. Um, those are, those are some of my favorites. Those are just undoubtedly like you, those are kind of like take them unless the other one is just even way better. Um, but synergy with your artifacts is key to a successful run. And I mean that in the sense of like synergy between artifacts you take and also synergy of the artifacts you are picking with the type of clan that you have and the strategy that you have. It is really the most important thing about this game. Uh, I know you agree with that. I do agree with that. And I think it makes the game as variable as it is. 
Um, yes. I think access to mm -hmm. artifacts, if you get a good set of artifacts, you're probably going to make, make it through your run okay. If you get a really lousy run of artifacts or you just don't get a lot of artifacts, um, your run is probably going to be more difficult. Yes. It's those modifiers that really take, it takes your game to the next level. And I would say uh, until the really DLC... Does. Yeah, it does. And but it, it, until the DLC difficulties, I would say that even a really bad artifact run never felt like it was going to destroy your run. No. And I was even saying that when I because I, I would say I'm good at this game now. I wouldn't say I'm like outstanding at it. But even when I was just starting out and learning my learning the ropes, I would a, a bad artifact run. I could still win. Exactly. Um, but it, it just the, when when you get good artifacts there you need it but in some cases like it, it is just it's great uh, and i'm saying this just because i don't, you know getting shitty artifacts doesn't mean that you should just restart your run because I, I i don't no. think i've ever restarted um no and if you get one artifact that you think may not be able to be used you may get another artifact that syncs with it later or you may select cards um that wind up working with it so just because you get one or two uh, bad artifacts in the beginning doesn't mean that you can't find a way to make them useful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, should we talk about things that you might see or run into on a run yeah. train? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I guess the idea is that you you do these battles, and in between each battle, you get to take different paths. And yeah, and each path each might one, have some one of the one or two of these things or three. Yeah, you go through each circle of hell, um, which are actually kind of cleverly designed. I kind of like the the background pictures of each one. Yeah, um, and they have little little notes on them, like a map. And so uh, after you begin your run, like you said, you get to pick uh, one of two paths, left or right, um, each time after every battle. The game is very fair; it lets you see what's on each path, so you you know exactly what you're picking. Um, so we'll go through, these are just some things that you will find on a run. Also, I don't know how variable these are. Do you know if there's variability to these or will we always see all of these in a run? Do you know? I, I'm not totally sure. You mean like, are there any of these you won't see at all? Right. In a run. No, uh, right? no, no. They, you always see them. And one thing I didn't even realize until yesterday is that you can look ahead and see which ones are coming up, like all throughout all the circles of hell. You can? Yeah. How did I not know that? But, but truly, like, I didn't, I don't even know if it's that useful because it's situational, right? Like, you could you could be doing really well and then pick up a really great artifact that might make you not need something later on. And so you don't, you don't really need to plan that far ahead. No. But I you mean, can look only, ahead if you want. The only thing I could think is if you are desperate for pyre health and you kind of want to look ahead to see where that is. Right. Um, and then that might, that might impact, you know, how defensive you are in a game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't even know you could do that and it has not affected my gameplay at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it will. I don't, I, I, I don't think you're going to find yourself like looking ahead very often. No. So uh, there's two things that will start every single game. Um, the first is Herzl's Horde. Uh, which you will find others of, but there's always one at the beginning of your run. Herzl's Horde grants you an artifact um, just for free. It gives it to you, and or a choice of two, rather. Yeah. Um, so you begin every run with a choice of one of two artifacts, and then every time you come by a Herzl's Horde uh, in the game, you can select another. I always, always, always go the direction where there's a Herzl's Horde. I, I would say probably 99% of the time I do as well. And I, and from just from a game design standpoint, 
the ability to take an artifact early, like right away in the game, right before you start, is such like a um, what was it? Get you get those uh, the squirts, yeah, the D, the D, <laughs> the D squirts, squirts. The dope squirts, <laughs> the dopamine squirts, yeah. Um, especially once you like learn how good artifacts are, then like you're like every time you start a run, I get so excited. I'm like wondering what this artifact's gonna be, even if it's shitty, you know, it's just exciting to get one before yeah. you even start. Yeah. And then what's interesting is I always look at the artifact first uh, to see what kind of modifier it gives me. And then I select the Dark Forge, um, which is yes. also something that you pick at the very beginning of your run. Yep, yep. So uh, we'll talk about specific clans later, but you power up your champion that you picked from your clan. Um, and there are three different ways each champion can be upgraded. And you can mix and match as well as you like. So. Let's say we have Umbra, uh, which I've been playing as lately, so I remember. Um, you may get to pick, for one champion, like the champion, you may get to pick Glutton, uh, which means that he gorges and eats more. Or you may pick, I forget what it's called, but he's like a beef boy. He's bigger and he's stronger. Yeah. Um, there's another one that gives him trample. However, on each run, you only get the option of two out of those three, if that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, I think we'll explain a little bit what those abilities like gorge and, and trample are. Exactly. And, like um, and so you could potentially level up your champion on one path, but then decide mid-run, actually, I'm going to take him down this other path and create these kind of hybrid builds, uh, yes. which is very fun. Yes, I, I, I think I find myself doing that a lot more now. I used to just kind of stick with one path. Um, but I'm, I, I usually take maybe the same type of upgrade twice in a row. And then my third, I will, I will often uh, do a hybrid. There are some abilities that just kind of can't be ignored, like trample. Uh, yeah. That, you know, it's just, it, it drives you to make that choice uh, in a really interesting way. Because I'm the kind of guy who, you know, if I pick an upgrade path, I want to stick to it all the way to the end. Um, that's just my play style. But then things will come up that really tempt you into kind of... Uh, hybridizing your champion yeah yeah tell us about some other stuff we're gonna see uh so banners which will let you recruit a new unit and then and that might be a unit from your main clan or your support clan forgotten boons which is essentially just free money i think it's just 75 gold each time but that i've never really paid attention to but you're probably right i, I think it is um shops which can be uh, like a, a, a magic-based shop, a melee-based shop, or an artifact, or like a trinket store. What I think yes. it's something about trinkets. Um, and what that allows you to do is spend money to improve your cards or eliminate cards in your deck. And there are certain cards you start with every time. There are four train stewards. They're kind of like your basic attack units until you start picking up other units. I would say a good strategy generally is to get rid of the, your train stewards as you go um, relatively soon um, or you will be running into issues where you only have so many cards you can play per turn and you might have a train steward in your hand that you have absolutely no interest in playing also train stewards take up two spaces which for a basic unit is kind of a lot there are some artifacts that will boost the stats of train stewards and you can boost your train stewards too i found myself doing this maybe my first three to four runs i quickly stop doing that. Uh, yeah. Also, your advice, um, and we'll get into something that allows you to quickly purge um, cards from your deck. But yeah. um, generally, really most quickly. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, really quickly. I was just going to say, typically, the game will give you the option of either a magic base shop or a monster power up shop. But they are almost always I think they are always uh, one on each side. Yes, they so are never together. 
they're never together. So you have to decide, you know, each path, do you want to power up your monsters or do you want to power up your spells, which right. again is going to play into the variability of each run. And sometimes like, if you're like us, if there's a Herzl's horde, you don't care which one no, uh, you're going to go that direction. Yeah. Um, and we should say that units and spells generally by default only have two upgrade slots, meaning you cannot spend, you cannot upgrade one unit three times to make it like super powerful. Though there are things like artifacts you can get that allow your units or spells to get extra upgrades slots yes these are yeah. typically meaningful as well yes they can do things like lower the cost of a spell they can add health and attack to enemies um just all kinds of all kinds of crazy modifiers yes very uh m- more d squirts um when you do so many things like this too this game is just you can actually call it d squirt train squirt 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 <laughs> Um, other things you can run into pyre remains, which very simply just lets you recover 20 health back to your pyre. Again, like I will, I could have full pyre health. And if there's a Herzl's horde with a pyre remains, I'll still go that direction just to get an artifact and a useless pyre, uh, cause you can't go over the, the limit. Um, so, you know, whatever, uh, hell vents, which let you copy a card in your deck. I find myself not using this incredibly often, but sometimes it is essential you might have you might have just had the perfect upgrade to a unit or spell and having two of them is just like chef's kiss and that's why i always wait uh, you know if you get four options or three options or whatever the case may be on each path if there's a helven i always wait until i yes. power up and do everything else then go there um because like you said it lets you just make a free copy you want to make sure you're making the strongest possible copy yes and kind of the antithesis of that is the unstable vortex, which lets you eliminate two cards in your deck for free. When you go to a shop and you try to do it, you have to pay to do it and you have to pay more money each time you attempt to do it. I find myself doing an unstable vortex within the first three uh, op- options like to get to do it. Um, usually as soon as I can do it, I do it unless there's a Herzl's horde on the other side. Um, yeah. And I almost always use this to get rid of a train steward. Every once in a while, we'll use it to get rid of a card that I stupidly picked up or that was given to me as a reward that I should have passed on. Or sometimes, uh, certain clans, they have really useful cards, but there's just too many of them uh, in a deck. Like for example, the Stygian guard that uses the the frostbite cube. Yeah, um, your deck is just loaded with them. They cost zero, but still, that's just too many for a good um, synergy. And as you go on, and enemies become harder, some of those cards that there are plenty plenty of, that while they might have been useful early on, they become almost useless as time exactly. goes on, unless you upgrade them. Uh, and the last one of these is the Concealed Caverns, which is kind of like a mixed bag. It, it may or may not give you the opportunity for like a rare card or an artifact. Sometimes like these these cards will start off as like not very good or might like just like cause problems to your deck. But the, the idea is that if you stick with it for a bit and don't get rid of it, or if you accept this kind of like burden initially, it will reward you with something really good later on. Or like yeah. a, a card or artifact might get powered up after a couple boss fights. Right. For example, um, I'm, I'm just trying to think of a, of a test case. You may um, get, you know, a card that gives you three amber or one amber, or I'm sorry, one pyre, but then it loads three cards that you have to purge in your deck uh, yeah. at a time. So, you know, it's annoying to purge those cards because it, it costs, you know, one pyre to get rid of them. Um, but at the next Concealed Cavern, they may give you that card, the, the Pyre increasing card, but now it increases your Pyre by three and you get like two of them or something. Right. Um, so it's it's kind of depends on your run. It kind of depends, you know, 
I, I tend to avoid these, uh, you know, engaging in those ones that start off kind of bad or so-so. On Same. Really on Covenant runs, especially, just because you, you don't really want to handicap yourself like that um, unless you have to. Yeah, yeah. All right. Can you talk about abilities just briefly before we get into champions? Yeah. So, uh, so we'll talk about kind of like the general functions of certain cards, the unit card. I mean, I guess most of these are just kind of unit card based. Um, but so there, there are abilities and, and some of these abilities are abilities you kind of see across all different decks. And then some of them are a little bit more or entirely clan specific. And so we'll talk like some, some of the basic unit abilities are like, Quick, which is like where your enemy will usually enemies will attack first during a turn. Uh, quick allows you to attack before the enemy does. Um, multi strike, like which is quite simply, you get to you know whatever your attack rating is, you get to deal double or triple um, that turn. Um, we can go into a little bit some of the other uh, abilities in a bit. Yeah, it should be noted that mm -hmm. enemies can use these abilities as well, and enemies can use abilities that you. <clears throat> enemies can use abilities that you cannot use like for yes. example haste which you know you mentioned earlier cards can sort of jump to the top of your train that's haste you will never get to use haste yes um which is kind of interesting yeah um i'm trying to think of what, what other I mean, is i guess sweep is kind of one that you see across multiple different decks though i think it's more like stygian guard or yeah. Stygian and the other one. It, sweep is like you get to attack uh, every single... Usually you are able... I don't know if we mentioned you can only attack the, the front enemy unit until that one's dead, then you can attack others. And that's why something like Trample is so important because Trample allows you to... Any like leftover damage um, after you kill the front enemy unit will be dealt on the next enemy unit and so on and so forth. Um, so if you deal 20 damage and there's five and or four enemies on the on the level that each have five health uh if you have trample you will kill all of them yeah uh and it feels really good when you do it sure does the, the more d squirts um do you want to talk about buffs yeah we can talk about buffs um so there are several buffs that you can get that the enemy can get as well um some of these are pretty simple and you've seen in other games so there's regen which allows your units to regenerate some health um every round there's spikes. Um, I really like spikes. Spikes give your units um, kind of like some first strike offensive capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, also, it gives you some defensive capabilities. If enemies attack you, you immediately attack back with your spikes, uh, which I like. Um, rage increases a unit's power uh, after each kill. Lifesteal will restore health to a monster uh, that, that has that ability um, after they attack. Damage it will restore health equal to the amount of damage that you've dealt, which is like correct. insane in some ones. <laughs> exactly. That is correct. Um, damage shield just simply blocks damage. Um, uh, we should also mention that a lot of these can be stacked. So you could have damage shield three, for example, and let's say the enemy you're facing has multi-strike three. Uh, you will be protected for every single one of those. Yes. There's also Spell Shield, same idea, um, but specifically with spells. Does Spell Shield protect you or does Spell Shield reduce the damage from spells? Uh, it negates, I, it well, negates actually, the spell. Well, actually, you know what? I don't even know if I've able to... Do, can you get Spell Shield or is that just something enemies get? Because for enemies, actually, it negates the damage of three... It negates the damage of spells for however right. many you have. And I'm pretty sure you cannot get Spell Shield. You, cannot, you can also not get Stealth. 
Um, and right. you mentioned stealth earlier with the bird people. Uh, tell us about stealth. Oh, wait. Actually, no, you can get stealth. Uh, I forget which clan does it. And I, I think I saw it for the first time. There, there are like some spell cards that give your enemy, give your uh, um, ally units. Uh, the Stealth is just where you are not a target in combat for a particular turn. Right. And it, and like, you know, if you have stealth two, that means two turns, uh, you will not be a target. There's there's a champion that has a, a something stealth like I don't even know if they call it stealth, where they just can't be attacked until they like until a certain amount of turns have gone by, I believe. But I'm, I'm almost positive that there is like a, a, there are a couple cards that grant you stealth, but maybe I'm wrong. You, yeah, I think you might be right, but definitely no haste. Yes. Um, no haste for your units. We have debuffs. Um, again, some of these make sense, uh, and you've seen in other games. So dazed, as you mentioned earlier, uh, dazed means that units uh, cannot attack. Uh, they're kind of just sitting there, uh, which is great, um, especially when you get artifacts that daze people, as you mentioned, when they enter your train, um, because you can kind of just slaughter them before they're able to move up. Rooted, similarly, kind of traps people where they are and does not allow them to move up the train. Um, rooted also is um, stackable. All of these are stackable, I believe. Yes. We have Frostbite, uh, which does degrading damage um, as units move up the floors and uh, as, you know, that can stack as well. One of my favorite artifacts in the game is where Frostbite does, well, if you have, if you have the deck that's using Frostbite, is where Frostbite does not degrade. And so the enemy will great. take the same amount of damage that you've built up with Frostbite. So if you end up dealing like, you get uh, uh, like a boss's frostbite level up to 50, they will take 50 damage every turn. Exactly. And it's very satisfying to do that. And then by the time the boss gets to the top floor, they're already almost dead. Yes. Um, spell weakness and melee weakness are what they sound like. Um, it just makes uh, people weak to spells and melee. Um, what is, tell us about sap. So sap is something that, like the, and that can be inflicted on, you can inflict it on the enemy and the enemy can inflict it on you. Um, it will decrease, I believe it will decrease your attack power once per turn for however many stacks of sap you have. Gotcha. I, um, I think it'll, it'll decrease it by one exactly. I don't think it, or maybe it's two each turn. I forget, but it, it's, it's mean, a small, it's a small amount. Yeah. Um, then we have heartless, uh, which means that your units have no health um, or one health. Uh, it does not affect their attack though. Um, and then we have Ember Drain, which uh, will cause, you know, certain cards to drain away your Ember um, or Pyre. Ember, I believe it's called. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, that's it for debuffs. Um, I think wait, Heartless, I think, is just you don't have one health. You just can't be healed. You I can't think be healed. A, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, like we said, a lot of these, this game just has a lot going on. Um, as we're describing these things, it sounds like we don't necessarily know entirely what they do. But within the context of a, within the context of a run, when you see it in action, you immediately understand. One thing that's really nice, again, from a gameplay perspective, is when you are highlighting a particular card, it will explain yes. all of these things to you. It, yes. And as someone who has played card games before, like non-digital card games, where you often have to look up rules when you are just learning how to play it, this is so incredibly useful and it yes. is quick. You don't have to like, like, you know, shuffle through pages of rule books or anything or go online and look up something. All the information in this game, this user interface is great. Um, it will, sh it, it tells you everything you need to know on screen. It, it's, yeah, it's it, fantastic. 
it hides nothing from you. You can highlight any ally or enemy, and it gives you these little windows that pop up next to them, showing every single effect that it's applying to them. And like you said, every, you know, exactly what that effect does. Yes. And to give us some credit, we do know what the fuck we're talking about. You know what? We do. It's just you know? an early morning. We're, you know, yeah, yeah. we're not perfect. Um, really quick. So triggers. Triggers are abilities that will only activate once a particular condition has been satisfied. So like a spell being cast or like a unit dying on the same floor, things like that. I mean, some of them are really simple, like slay. Like if let's say you're the slay condition is you get an increase in attack power by five each time you deal a killing blow to an enemy. So your, your, your champion might kill an enemy and then they will get the slay condition, which will be plus five attack permanently for the rest of the run. Sometimes there's the trigger is just summon, which is means as soon as you play a unit, that trick that no that effect will activate. Um, other ones are like you know resolve, which is after combat, after a turn, that condition will or you know that um, that ability will trigger things like that. And there are some that are really specific uh, to certain clans that are very complicated. And I think maybe we should probably say up front, we're not going to get into all of these things. This game is really dense. Um, Hopefully this is helpful to anyone who might be thinking about playing the game. We're just kind of covering the, 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 so the basics in a little bit extra. Yeah. We're not going to go through the specific ins and outs of every champion and every clan because that would take forever. Um, but we'll give you an overview of each one um, and kind of each champion uh, because what's interesting is that each clan kind of has an overarching uh, strategy to it, but within that clan, with each of the two champions, it's kind of different ways that those gameplay mechanics are expressed. Yeah. That makes sense. Should, should we talk briefly about like, uh, about spells? I don't know if we, we really, yeah. met. We, we, we sort of talked about what they are, but they are kind of, I mean, spells are like another way of dealing damage or debuffs or buffs and things. And there are, there are other like spells that kind of can affect the movement of enemy and or friendly units um along the latter lines there are spells that will like that use ascend or descend which will move enemy or friendly units up a floor or down a floor which can be really useful in certain situations so let's say you have an artifact that triggers days uh an automatic days on a unit when it enters the pyre room for like one round and you can you know and you've got a really powerful enemy or maybe an enemy that's almost dead on the, on the third floor, you can ascend it to the pyre room, which will not give it a chance to attack if you have the artifact that does days, and then your pyre can just kill it. Yeah, um, exactly. Spells it, are different ways of modifying monsters, the train, all those different factors. Yeah. Um, a lot of spells have, a lot of very powerful spells have this thing called, like, it, it costs, like, X amount of ember, which... What that does is when you play it, it will spend all of your remaining ember. And so you have to kind of strategize, do you want to play at the top of the turn at the and do a lot more damage or maybe do an extra amount of buffing or debuffing, depending on what the card is? Or do you want to play at the end of your turn where you will do less when you have less ember because you've been trying to prioritize playing other cards? Or there will be cards that you have to discard a card to play it. So if you're able to get that card down to be the last card in your hand, you can do it essentially without a penalty. Yes, uh, I would say like maybe three of the other most important types of spells are consume like, like certain types of spells are ones that are consumed consumed so like cards can be discarded or what's the other what's the other option I forget well consumed 
or, or, or right like consumed permanently for the rest of the run or just discarded and discarded cards are kind of reshuffled into your deck is that right well we should say not for the rest of the run just for that game oh i'm sorry just for that match yeah, for that, that match, match. yeah yes. when i when i yeah right not the rest of, but there, there are some are, cards that are purge um which rest of the run they're gone yeah also right. there are some cards that um can gain power-ups permanently throughout the run so there are a few rare cards that you know if you satisfy their triggers like you said it's not five damage for that match it's five damage increased for the entire run yes. so there are certain monsters that you can build up throughout an entire run that start relatively weak but if you focus on them um they can be devastatingly strong yes very much so um I guess, or maybe I think I said there were three others. There's really only one other I, I wanted to mention, which is Frozen, which I think is a really interesting thing that I have not, I've only more recently started trying to use strategically. And so if you apply Frozen to a card in your hand, you can use like some spells to apply Frozen to other cards. A Frozen card will not be discarded at the end of your turn. It will stay in your hand for the next turn, which, yeah, which is uh, very, you can be very useful. Depending on the card, exactly. Depending on the card, yeah. That's some cards come like that, but that's also an ability you can buy. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Should we get into uh, yeah. each of our clans? Let's do it. You're a clan uh, and champion expert, so I, you know, let's not use, this. let's not say the phrase "clan expert" uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Let's not say that. Do they really um, have uh, like a like a monopoly on the term "clan" for for now know, and forever? It's really not fair. <sighs> No, I guess it's not. But I mean, you know, just like, you know, you can't use the swastika anymore, even though it's a tilted manji. I don't think you can use the word clan. Yeah. And I, I strongly disapprove of Monster Train using the word clan. No. And <laughs> yeah, and us in the outline, yeah. there's like, yeah. if, you, if you search clan is in there. find for clan, it'll be like <laughs> 20 instances of the word clan. Um, our first clan, though, uh, you get two. <laughs> you get two groups, tribes. Uh, I did call them <laughs> tribes to you before. You get. Two, <laughs> are we going to be able to keep going using the word clan? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm about. I'm about done. I just okay, had, to, okay. I had to get it so, out. So you um you start with two clans uh, that you can play as. Uh, the first is Hellhorned. Um, these are really the only clan that seem demonic. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, they're the only ones that are remotely hell-like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's in their name. They're uh, they're kind of the stereotypical like red horned uh, demons. What you'd expect for like a hell kind of game, um, but they're really the only ones. Yeah, uh, they're a very basic uh, clan, like a good clan to start out and learn the ins and outs of the game. They focus on a lot of general like direct attacks and direct damage um, through spells. Uh, the first champion you unlock is the Hornbreaker Prince, um, and it's kind of this Hornbreaker Prince torch deck. So um, it specializes in high damage output with direct spells, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, it also focuses on the buff Rage, um, which makes yes. you stronger for each kill. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's the first one. And I was going to say one, like. I was just going to say that the, the Hellhorn in general seem very, in terms of like buffs, they're very rage focused. And in terms yes. of abilities, they're very armor focused. Yeah, I didn't mention that. Yeah. They, more they rage though. At, yeah, more rage, but there are um, some armor armor effects, which we'll get to with the Shardtail Queen. Yes. The Shardtail Queen is the second champion of Hellhorn. Um, and they, she focuses on putting out implings. And like you mentioned, 
Um, those typically give you armor, uh, get, allow you to do direct damage, you get to gain amber or ember. Um, there's also kinds of different effects that the implings have. Um, and then I typically leave my shard tail queen kind of on the second or the top floor. Same. Have my, my imps do a lot of those effects and then she kind of cleans up. So I would say that I think Hellhorn might be my least favorite of all of them. Of all it's the my clans. least favorite. Yeah, I, I, I don't find I, I don't I actually think it's might be because I'm not very good at them. I don't really utilize rage and armor very much. Um, I think that oftentimes by the time I kind of like get a grasp on like or I get enough cards to abuse armor, the enemies are all so powerful at that point that I feel like it doesn't really get me anything. Sometimes it's just better to have like units that have a lot of health that just tank damage. Especially because armor does regenerate uh, after each round. However, like you said, eventually enemies will get so strong that they'll just blow your armor away. And right. then it doesn't regenerate, and then it feels like a waste. And, so, and for, I mean, armor for some will generate, will regenerate each round. Other For certain clans, it does not, I believe. Or well, like for I mean, certain, I mean, mean? If, the en- if the enemy is strong enough to eliminate your armor entirely, it's not coming back. Oh, I, I thought you were saying it, it might regenerate after certain turns. I think there are no, some cards that do regenerate. You can get armor boosts at the end of each turn, but not always. Well, as I believe armor always regenerates after each round, unless it's completely eliminated. Oh, right? I thought no. I thought armor is just kind of like, it's almost like added health that like pr- kind of prevents you from getting, you might be right. I, I don't be thinking of Keyforge. I, 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 may, I might, I might, I mean, I, I really have not interacted with armor that much. So you, you may very much be right. Um, I, I just thought that like armor exists as something to take damage before your health takes damage. Either way, the, like you said, there are certain points in the game where it just becomes completely obviated. You, you can't stack yeah. enough armor to make it worth it. I just assume that armor works on you as the way it does on enemies, where if you get rid of an enemy's armor, it will not regenerate. I mean, not entirely. Like if you do, if an enemy is 20 armor, you have to do 20, you can do, do 10 damage to it. If it goes up a floor, it'll only have 10 armor. I mean, or like armor in real life, which also famously doesn't regenerate. <laughs> Fame, imagine like the landscape of like mod, of warfare it could have been changed drastically if armor regenerating generated. armor yeah if only if only um tell us about this second clan i this is a really interesting clan to me i, I would say and, and again this is not this might be my second least favorite but I, it's a kind of a big jump after Hellhorned in terms of like how much fondness i have to it it's I, very, I, it's extremely different. Yeah. Um, and I think they purposely put the, these two as your first two to contrast. And I, lo- I love that they do that. Uh, so this is Awoken. They are kind of like tree demons slash people. When I say demons, again, not the type of stereotypical demons that Hellhorn is. Um, their focus uh, is a lot on um, health and regen and kind of like the incant trigger, which is like if you use like a spell, I think in Kansas, if you use a spell, then it triggers a certain ability. Yes. Um, it, so like regen will restore health per turn and can stack. Uh, and also the rooted condition is a focus of the Awoken, which prevents enemy units from moving up to the next floor for a certain turn, which I find to be very useful in certain cir- cir- uh, circumstances, especially if a artifact gives you rooted. Yeah. And if you play around with Ascend and Descend, so if you play around, you know, you can descend a unit from a higher floor and then trap them with root, uh, yes. which is extremely satisfying. Yes. Uh, the 
two um, champions are the sentient, right? Sentient? Is that yeah, sentient. Sentient? Sent- yeah, sentient. Sentient, uh, which is kind of focusing on restoring health and stacking regen on allies. The other champion is the, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Wildenton. Wildenton. <laughs> Wildington sounds like a like a British nobles la- or like a like a like a rich British guy's last name. I was gonna 1700s. say Wildington sounds like a, a charming English village. Yeah, Wildington uh, Rutherford is like <laughs> sounds yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wildington focuses on um, adding attack to units, drawing more cards, uh, can add spikes, uh, which, you know, grants units ability to do damage for getting attacked, as you mentioned. Or, so I'm, I might be wrong on that. Or is it they do the damage when they're attacked? It's they do the damage. Or, no, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it, it's yeah, you're right. It, it That's is my mistake. When, yeah, when an enemy attacks you, um, the attacker will take damage equal to the amount of spikes you have on you. Yeah. Um, so now our third clan, this one's really fun. I really like this one. I, I like this clan a lot. Yeah. This is the Stygian guard. Um, Stygian, Stygian means of the underworld as far as I know. Um, yes. This is, this is yeah. my, maybe, is this like the second most eldritchy? Yeah, I would say. Mm, Actually, no, say this third. is, there's some like kind of cutesy creatures in this. Yeah. In this especially one. the first champion is very cutesy. Yeah. Uh, but the Stygian Guard are sea creatures. Um, and generally their emphasis is on magic. Um, so they're the kind of, they're the clan that's going to use uh, spell weakness, um, which insulates or causes extra damage from spell attacks. Um, and then you have two champions. You have Tethys Titan's Bane, who's just like this cute little imp. Um, and that strategy focuses on dealing spell damage to specifically front units with uh, spells like Frozen Lance. Uh, there's also really good Stygian Guard spells that you'll get that do, for example, 25 damage to the first unit or, um, you know, 10 damage to the first unit three times. Uh, yeah. Different things like that. Yes. A lot of the strategy with the Stygian Guard is to inflict spell weakness on bosses and hold your most powerful, typically upgraded by that point by you, uh, hold your powerful spells to the end to target the boss and do a lot of damage at once. Yes. Um, the other champion we have is Soul Guard the Martyr. Um, I love some of these names because I'm sure there's lore to them, but I don't care. I don't care um, at all. Why is Soul Guard a Martyr? I don't know. Um, so that deck specializes in frostbite, uh, which we mentioned earlier. It's a stackable, though degrading, uh, status effect, um, that damages enemies as they move up each floor. This, uh, this deck also focuses on encant, uh, or yeah, encant. Um, and as we mentioned, every time a spell is played, there's a special effect triggered. So you have a lot of units in Stygian Guard that say have multi-sweep, um, or multi-strike and say sweep or Mm -hmm. one or the other. And then encant powers powers them up. So you might have a weak monster generally with sweep, um, but by activating incant abilities, it becomes very strong and it can kind of sweep entire floors. Yes, yes. Which again, is very satisfying. Very um, squirty. It's very squirty. Speaking of, tell Spe- us about the squirtiest. Yeah, let uh, me, so we got three left. Are Would you say the last two are your two favorites? I was going to say maybe you should take the lead on the last yeah. two. Also, I, you have more experience with the last two than I do. Yeah, I'll take the last two. Tell us about, uh, although I'm, I'm a big fan of this next I, I know I know you are a big fan of this. But I would say out of all the, the last three, which I'd say the last three are probably my favorites. Um, 
this is the one I've probably abused the most to great success, um, but and also to a crash and burn uh, failure uh, in the, some of the DLC content. Um, so the next, next clan is Umbra. These are very like dark, venomy looking monsters. Some of them are like quite literally like blobs, blob creatures with teeth. Um, but also oddly like a robot. It's very interesting. Uh, the, the yeah. mixture here. There's weird robot uh, creatures in this in this clan that I've really never used. Yeah. Um, because they have weird mechanics, like like they're robots and they have to be oiled, right? Yeah, they get uh, fuel. They need fuel, fuel. fuel to use their attacks. Um, I've never I've never once used them. I, I I'm not a huge fan of that unit. Um, but there are a couple units in this that get uh, so essentially with with the the gimmick of this clan is that there are these tiny shadow morsels that um provide certain buffs when a the the enemy so you basically the the front unit uh that you have on a particular floor will eat at the end of each turn any of the shadow morsels that are behind it and so a lot of the strategy here is like there are cards that will get you you know will give you morsels to put behind these units for these units to then eat at the end of the turn and again certain a certain um Units in this clan will get extra bonuses when they eat a morsel. For instance, one of my, my favorite, probably my favorite unit in the entire game that isn't a champion is a unit that anytime they eat a morsel, they get one instance of lifesteal. So yes. to, to emphasize the importance of lifesteal, if you can get, and there are certain you know uh, other units that will double the amount of morsels that are on a floor, or like um, anytime you put a morsel down, it'll double it, which is extremely useful. Um, and so Umbra are very, you really want to increase the floor size to utilize Umbra more. You care a little bit more about that than you do about having more Ember or Pyre to use. Exactly. Also, summoning the Shadow Morsels is usually either free or only costs one Ember. Yes. Um, it's, again, to emphasize the importance of lifesteal, imagine that you have a character that is eating morsels that, that gets uh, a, one instance of lifesteal every single time that is eating a morsel uh and plus it gets the addition the morsels additional benefits so it's increasing its maybe its health and attack power maybe each time you put that unit at the top on the top floor the the third floor and it is eating morsels over and over and over and over and over again and it's let's say it, might, it could have like 20 instances of lifesteal and it's doing like 70 to 80 attack per turn if it goes up against a boss that is so if you have like 20 instances of lifesteal you essentially will not get hurt 20 times in a row and you but you will deal 80 damage you will be just replenishing your health to 80 and usually bosses don't attack for 80 damage in a single turn and so you are essentially completely healing yourself 20 turns in a row which is incredible we should mention generally bosses have very high health um, but usually low or kind of average damage yes um, so really the focus is, like you said, survivability um, and, you know, some will do more damage than others, but especially getting that high attack from from eating morsels and gorging. Yes. I love putting, like you said, putting Penumbra up here and just letting him gorge and gorge and gorge yep. and just blow people away. And then also the, and some, um, I think one of the champions uh, has, uh, we'll, we'll, which I'll, I'll explain in a second, has the buffet ability which allows that that your champion to be eaten by others which adds their strength and health to whatever unit eats them and also penumbra as you mentioned 
again, focuses on eating and gorging. Morsel units can be summoned. Um, and you know, it, again, the good strategy is to kind of stack all of that on Penumbra. And Penumbra can also, ha- um, some champion paths get Penumbra Trample, which is great because Penumbra usually has pretty high attack, which does a lot of damage to early game enemies, especially you can take out an entire floor of enemies pretty easily with Penumbra. The other thing you can do with the Morsels that I find useful is just throw them up as uh, human yes. shields, Yep, uh, which I also frequently do. Very frequently. Uh, the other Umber Champion is Primordium, which is, like I mentioned, um, the buffet ability, which a lot, which you are trying to have other units in your group eat your champion um, in order to get whatever strength and health um, that they have. I actually think that this champion is the one that I have the hardest time using. I'm really fascinated with the idea and I've been trying to do it a lot and it's like, I love it, but it is very, I I find it, it makes my runs more difficult trying to figure out how to best utilize this champion. It's very finicky. It's very situational. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on Umbra? No, just that I love them. They're great. Love them. Uh, um, let's talk about two incredible. Uh, the next incredible two, players. the next two are a real power couple. Um, yeah, I use them together quite a bit, uh, and they're extremely useful. So we have the melting remnant. Uh, these are very cool. They're like melting candle people, uh, which I like. It reminds me of the um the archives in dark souls 3 with the guys yeah. who dip their heads in candles yeah which i very much like so your two champions uh you have rector flicker um so one of the big gimmicks of or the, the gimmick of this clan is burnout so you want to summon candle people and use their burnout effects so burnout essentially means the unit is on a timer and when that number of turns goes down or gets to zero uh they die they they fade away um, however, their burnout effects trigger. Um, again, cards get rotated back in your deck. So just because they die does not mean they're gone. They're going to rotate back through. Um, additionally, there are ways of bringing uh, units back from the graveyard once they burned out. So Rector Flicker, that's his idea. You want to use these burnout effects um, and kind of make him stronger, make everyone stronger. The other one, I don't use Rector Flicker a lot. I've used him a lot. I actually have. Um, I've almost uh, more recently started using this other one, which is awesome. Yeah, um, this is my favorite. Uh, Usually when I do runs, when I really just want to blow people out of the water, um, I will do Little Fade as my primary and I will do Wormkin as uh, as my secondary. And you'll just like put Little Fade front and center every time, just get it killed constantly. Yeah, so much like uh, much like Primordium focuses on getting eaten, Little Fade focuses on getting killed. Uh, but however, he comes back stronger each time he dies. So if you put him on the first floor and let him get slaughtered again and again, He's only going to get stronger so that by the time you resummon him near the end of the near the end of the match, you can put him on the top floor and he'll kind of crush the boss. Yeah. Uh, which are great. Yeah. Initially, it's harder situation. because Little Fade starts with it gets a big gets a big uh, big attack upgrade usually when it dies, but it does but it has very low health. So you still got to be yes. a little careful initially. Yes. Yeah. Um, again, this this focuses on reform. Um, reform lets you bring back those units. Um, and then they're still subject to their burnout effects, which you want. Uh, you want their burnout effects. Yes. Um, anything else about Melting Remnant? No, let's get to possibly the most interesting and most complicated of all the clans. 
I would say it is both of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah so Wormkin, this is a DLC clan. Uh, this comes included in the Switch version. Uh, this was part of a DLC for uh, the other versions. These are very eldritch, like crystal worm creatures and not W-O-R-M, like worm, like W-Y-R-M. Yes. Uh, like creepy, yeah, like Cthulhu-esque kind of creatures. Almost dinosaur-esque in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In a I way. That's fair. Yeah. There's like um, one of them in particular that kind of reminds me of, and not all of them because they're like bugs and stuff too. But yeah, very elfy. Yeah, they to throw out some Digimon action. They remind me of Kabuterimon or Mega Kabuterimon. I don't understand that reference, but moving on. Uh, <laughs> so, so the mechanic they add, which is kind of completely unique to that. Well, it is completely unique to them and kind of bonkers a little bit. So now on each floor, if you pick Wormkin, you not only have to worry about the size of each floor, but you can build up crystals uh, up to four. And you build up crystals by playing certain cards that have like these crystalline edges to them um, that will add a crystal to each floor. So based on the number of crystals you have on each floor, it allows you to uh, use various effects. So some monsters will gain more power based on the number of crystals per floor. Some magic cards will drain crystals um, to trigger their effects. Um, and then the other uh, buff, or I'm sorry, not buff, um, the other debuff in this uh, is unique to them. It's Reap. Um, Reap is like frostbite, but it does not degrade. Yes. Additionally, Reap can get stronger depending on the card, um, depending on how many crystals are on each floor. Um, so you have two, two champions. Um, I typically use the Spine Chief um, when I use this this uh, this house. Um, Spine Chief focuses a lot on Reap, which again is like Frostbite, uh, but it does not degrade. Um, and the Spine Chief gets stronger based on the number of crystals. So I like to put the Spine Chief on the third floor. I like to load that floor up with crystals and then kind of work my way down. Um, how about you? Uh, I only very recently unlocked the second champion, so I've been basically only using Spine Chief. Gotcha. Um, the second champion similar strategy. About, yeah. Yeah. Is echo, right? Um, it's like this kind of little crystal snail thing. Um, and this deck focuses a lot on dealing direct damage by, like I said, expending crystals on each floor. So the idea here is instead of, uh, packing the floors with crystals and leaving them, it's, you want to load the floor with crystals to then kind of release them for these different effects. Yep. Anything else about these guys? I know these are new to you still. They, they're relatively new, though I am very fascinated with them, and I have had some dominant runs with them already. There are also relics that, as we mentioned, um, the only cards that add crystals to your floor are cards with those crystalline edges. You can get artifacts that will specifically, uh, after each match, um, give you, typically there's one crystalline card. However, there are artifacts that will give you two out of three crystalline cards to choose from. Mm-hmm. Often the game will give you a crystalline card to choose from. I feel like I've said the word crystalline more times now than I ever have in my entire life. I mean, you've said clan a lot more if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> but how often do you say crystalline? Never. Never, right? Yeah. Um, so um, you, sorry, where even was I with this crystalline talk? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I kind of got lost. I was kind of hypnotized by you saying crystalline. Crystalline. Ah, the crystalline card. So often the game will, uh, after a match, give you an option between uh, three cards, one of which is crystalline, but the crystalline one may not be very strong or useful. Um, so you have to balance. Are you going to pick a so-so card that will stack your floor with crystals 
or do you pick a more powerful card um, that will not give you that benefit? So it adds yet another kind of pro-con, you know, cost analysis for you to play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's go on to talk about bosses. What do yeah. you have to say about these bosses? I would say that I don't know very, like I said, even no matter how much I've been playing it, like I feel like I don't, I don't always like have a strategy for these bosses. I just kind of have like, I'm like, I'm going to play this way. And it usually works. It does not like boss specific. Um, There's some that are more easy to play against than others, but generally, yeah, I kind of just beef up my people as much as I can and kind of let it go. Yeah. I mean, so each boss has three different forms, which kind of alters their abilities and play style. I, I will admit, I feel like maybe it's because I, I play this game in such a rapid pace that I don't always notice the nuances between these play styles and abilities. Um, Neither do I. But we could, like, we could run through the bosses really quick. So the first one is Daedalus, the professor. The professor. Uh, well, we, should, we should note that um, for each... So these bosses occur at Circle 3, Circle yes. 6, and the last boss. Um, however, for Circles 3 and 6, you may get either Daedalus or Talos. And for Circle 6, you may get Arcus or Fel. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 Daedalus. so Daedalus puts bombs out on certain floors. And again, these bosses will kind of like at random go between the three different floors and can maybe depending on what their abilities are they can either put like a um an obstacle or something that does damage um on a particular floor that it's that it happens to be on or it can maybe buff uh or buff enemies um that are on that floor um so yeah but, you know at the end of a turn the bombs that daedalus puts down explode um and do damage to your um Units that are on that floor? Units, yeah, units that are on that floor, or I believe the front unit. Um, and additionally, uh, the, he may place bombs on empty floors. Uh, which yes. Is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Talos, the architect. Yes. I almost said ar- artifact, architect. Uh, she will buff allies, like their health and defense and such. Pretty um, Well, it, it's one per variation. So one variation of her will buff defense. Oh, that's right. One will buff health. It, it just depends on which one you get. Again, right. it's like the, the, the differences between the three forms are usually very minor. Um, but I imagine on Covenant runs, they probably matter a lot more. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about extremely that. briefly talk about Covenant yeah. runs. Um, um, yeah. yeah, we have Arcus and Fel. Those are the Circle Six bosses. So um, Arcus will put these dark shards on the train, um, which have various negative effects. Again, the ne- negative effect it's going to get depends on the variation of Arcus. Um, the idea is you want to break those dark shards to eliminate those effects. Similarly, Fel um, will summon these white alabaster statues of angels. I would say these are the only stereotypical angel thing in the entire game. Yeah, statues, I also hate these statues. Oh, I hate them. So uh, she'll summon statues on each level of the train, um, and you they're in front. Uh, so you have to break them before you can attack anything else, unless you have certain abilities or you're able to, to do different things. But for the most part, you have to break them before you can kind of do anything. Uh, I hate this guy because yes. typically units are able to get to my pyre um, probably easier than any of these other bosses. Yep. So tell us about these last two. I know the last one's your favorite. <sighs> yeah. So Seraph, which is the kind of like the final boss, uh, not including the, the norm on a normal run. There are four different versions of Seraph, which you can see, like you mentioned uh, earlier in this episode, that you can kind of see which one you're going to face at the very beginning of your run. Certain deck combinations are better 
for certain versions of Seraph. I, again, this is one of those things where I don't, I don't quite know the difference between each of these forms because I don't often look or pay too close attention to. Like, I feel like I've very rarely gotten to Seraph and lost and been like, what the hell? If only I had known like what it was going to do. It was more just like, I just was playing really shitty. Yeah, I'll, I'll look occasionally and kind of, I don't know off the top of my head what the different forms are, but I'll Google it. And if I Google it and it's like, oh, this one, like I was playing the other day and it was um, every spell card you played gets consumed or every second spell card you played gets consumed. That's true. Yeah, some, some, some of like them that. are much more glaring. Like if you're using Stygian right. Guard and you have this, so, you're just like son of a bitch. <laughs> exactly. So if I see that going in and I pick Stygian Guard, I'm going to be like, well, I'm probably going to toss out a lot of these spells and focus on getting some monsters for them. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Although typically I feel like if you use Stygian Guard and you get this version of Seraph, you might kind of be screwed. Well, not screwed, but it's going to be really you, hard. You kind of have to know going in or yeah, you will be screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell us about this last guy. So, I, I have not fought him because I uh, did not did not go past Covenant Run five or four. So let me let me uh, briefly introduce the idea of covenants. And, and so there are, there are you eventually get the ability to kind of make your runs more difficult. And every and and what they do is depending on what excuse me what covenant level you are using, it will stack certain things that can make your run more difficult. So covenant level one gives you these like certain like this kind of almost like currency or um it's like you can get really good things in exchange for increasing up to like a hundred or beyond this like certain you accumulate this certain resource and so like you can maybe get an extra artifact but you'll get like 25 of this resource and if you end up getting by the end if you end up getting and, and as you accumulate more and more of this resource the enemies that you are encountering will become harder and harder if you get up to a hundred or beyond when you beat Seraph, you will then actually fight this boss this final final dlc boss and by that point your run has probably been very difficult because you've accumulated a lot of this resource you need to get to 100 and you've probably taken a lot of pyre damage and then you will reach this final boss and this final boss is not only extremely powerful but the enemies that you encounter during this run are also insanely powerful and this is something that has made me feel like I don't know jack shit about this game. Like I, I, I will screenshots. I will and... steamroll like past like a lot of these, and like, my strategy would be to try to not take advantage of these resource of accumulating this resource because I don't. I want my early run to not be more difficult, and then I'll at like during the last like two circles of hell, I will accumulate a lot of that resource by like upgrading and like picking up certain things. And again, the buffs you get and the kind of things you get, like you might be able to get some of this resource in exchange for like giving an extra strong power up to one of your cards. Um, again, like the, the, the penalty is that you get this resource and enemies become harder, but I, I will generally not be able to get to the pyre uh, get to this final final boss with full pyre health um i have once and it did not matter i just got absolutely destroyed um to the point where i'm like there must be something i'm doing that's completely wrong there must be like some super cards i haven't unlocked or anything like that but anyway yeah, this um you you send me screenshots and some of the enemy attack uh ratings are and health are insane and armor like it's 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 in unbelievable armor. like and then so you and this boss takes up all three floors and each floor, you know, we mentioned like, you know, bosses will kind of move from floor to floor and will apply their certain like ability to that floor. 
this boss applies a unique ability to each floor. Like multi-strike might apply on every single attack it does on one floor. It might have um, spell shield on another floor. I forget what the others are, but it's, and it really makes you have to strategize where you're going to put your enemies or put your units, but it's not just that. Like at the same time, there's this onslaught of really powerful enemies you have to fight even before you fight the final boss. And it's, I've never, I haven't beaten it. Um, I kind of gave up trying. Um, you should note, I don't know if we named it. It's it's the last divinity. And yes. uh, it's it's not angelic looking, but it's this kind of stained glass window crystalline figure. Is this supposed to be God if it's I, the last divinity? I think it has to be. I think it is. Um, and I, I, I kind of glossed over like more of what covenants are because like, you don't have to beat this boss to to raise your covenant level. And so every time you raise a covenant level, it will add like a, another kind of burden on you. So like the covenant level one is like this resource is an option to take. The second covenant level, I think it will add. Sometimes you will get these cards that will appear in your hand that you cannot use. All they do is just give you one less card to draw. So that's that burden. And then I think like as covenant level three is like enemies are more powerful or there are more enemies, things like that. I've only gotten to covenant level three. I think um, I've gotten to four or five. So yeah. I've never faced the last divinity. And typically like roguelikes like this, like Hades and stuff, they have these kind of like, okay, so you've beaten the game a bunch of times. Here's a way to make it harder. And if you beat it, you get certain rewards. I don't know exactly what the rewards are. I think like if you do beat, beat the, on certain covenant runs, you get like maybe gold or like cool looking, cooler looking versions of certain cards that you beat it with. Um, but get, other than that, get- I yeah. love the gold cards because they stay gold forever. Yeah. Uh, so if you open a pack, um, well, you're not really opening packs, but if you get the choice of three cards after uh, a match and you see a gold card, you're like, ah, that's a card I won with. Yeah. Um, it, and it, it more warms squirts. my heart. Yeah. yeah. D squirts. Yeah. 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 Um, that's it. That's it for Monster Train, I think. See yeah. you guys next week. <laughs> um, I mean, I, what what works about this game for me is like, so much i mean we, we've just been talking about it i and and really i'm a fan of everything it's doing almost everything we've been describing ex- with, the, with the exception of the difficulty spike of some of the dlc content i would say everything works for me um yeah. we didn't we didn't mention it but the music is very very good yeah it's fun um and yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and i i mentioned earlier there's there's uh, we should say there's more tracks than you would think for a game like there this. are, and they're yeah. all quite good. Yeah. Um, there are, I mentioned about like how incredible the UI is. And I want to emphasize that again, like I said, like if you're picking up a game like this, and this was kind of what was daunting about me initially taking the first step and downloading this game was that my experience with learning new card games is like, it's a very like steep hill to climb for me. Um, learning new rules and what things do. I cannot emphasize enough how incredible of a design choice it was and how useful it is to have everything explained on the screen, like at once. It's not like you have to hit a button to pull up a pull up in a rule book either and like go through the rule book. Like it will everything, whatever you need to know for a certain unit, it will be shown to you on the screen when you hover over that that like card. It's the other thing too, so streamlined. It's so well, like efficiently presented to you. It makes playing this game an absolute joy. 
Agreed. And the other thing going along with that is typically games that originally are for PC, um, the UI can be really clunky or even navigating can be very clunky because the game was originally designed to be played with a mouse. Um, I don't find that game or I don't find this game to be that way. Do you? No, I don't. And, and I have one thing written down for what doesn't work for me. And it's super, super nitpicky, but in, in, in it's, and I wonder, I was going to ask you if you've had this problem too. So my, my one thing that doesn't work is, uh, again, I guess aside from the DLC difficulties is sometimes, and I don't know if this is a problem on the PC too, is when you are hovering over certain cards or trying to use certain cards, it will block your view of how much health or armor or like, like, because when you, when you, are choosing whether to use a card, you can see before you use it, how much damage it will do. Like if you use a spell, you can see how much damage it's going to do. So you can see if you're going to be able to kill an enemy with a certain attack or spell, which is very useful for strategizing. But sometimes the cards, literally your hand of cards on the screen will block your view of being able to see how much health an enemy has or how much damage you're going to do or what buffs it has. And that can be annoying and, and i guess similarly if you get a ton of units on one floor sometimes if they have if they all have certain buffs or debuffs or whatever it's hard to like kind of see exactly what they have because things get very scrunched together but that's an extremely minor complaint i agree with you and i i think it's kind of annoying because there's an easy solution and it's just if there's units on the floor make the the top of the cards maybe semi-transparent or opaque yeah you can still read them but see through them it seems like an easy fix, but I agree with you with what works. I think essentially everything works. Uh, I do love the art style, even though it's really weird. Oh yeah, yeah. How like uh, it's it's cartoony, but not too like kitty. No, and this is one of the few games where I'm not gonna insult it by saying it's flash animation, uh, but it's very like stiff animation, and I yeah. really don't mind. Um, no, I mean, clearly a lot of the development, like time and care went into creating the rules of this game. I mean, they put a lot of thought into this. This is absolutely. an absolutely incredibly well orchestrated, uh, um, made it's well balanced. Uh, our game. It's, it's very, very well, well balanced. balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's talk about the world of this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we turned monster train into a movie, how would that even work? So I'm going to tell you, I went buck wild with the voice cast of this. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't actually have, like, I didn't assign certain, um, specific actors to certain clans. I couldn't really think of who would fit best, but I got, I got a, a very good, unique, uh, cast of voice actors that I want to throw out and maybe you'll have some ideas how to use them. Obviously this is like a all CGI animated movie. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So let me, let me name. And I, I didn't like limit based on who's alive and who's not. So let me, okay. let me name some voice actors <laughs> for you. All right. Number one. Uh, is Peter Lorre going to be on it? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Is he? Yes, he is. What? <laughs> Okay, start with him. Uh, Peter Lorre. I don't know who he would be, but I mean, cause come on, you gotta have him. He would. He would be great, Daedalus. Uh, so the next two are also both dead. Uh, Orson Welles. Okay, let's he get him. Let's artist. get his. Yeah, let's get him in here. James Mason, my favorite voice mm. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> who would he be? Uh, I don't even know. He's got to be someone like kind of, I don't know, tough looking, but like is goofy when he talks i don't know hellhorn the hellhorn champion sure who knows uh michael shannon 
Always naturally. Shannon, great. Robin Williams. <laughs> okay. Ian McKellen. God, did you just name people you like? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would say maybe at no, actually, no, I did it. I mean, Michael Shannon and Ian McKellen are kind of like people I liked. But Robert Williams, James Mason, Orson Welles, and Peter Laurie were all intentionally uh, because I thought they'd be amazing voice actors. I would say so. Um, yeah, I like all those. I If I were to do the movie, again, it would be CGI animation. Um, I was thinking like uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Style. Oh, yeah. Just one long chase scene. You know, they're fighting angels. They're demons. The only real acting I had, uh, or I'm sorry, the only real actor I had was for Seraph, and I thought Tilda Swinton as Seraph would be great. Okay, I had whoever does the voice of Sonic. <laughs> Why? Uh, Roger, because, Craig, Roger Craig Smith? Because of uh, because they need to be annoyingly chipper because they're they're like they good guys kind of like I, I think it'd be really funny if the movie was because you know the angels are supposed to be the bad guys and so you would try to like. I mean, I think all logic would say if you're making a film about this, you need to have them be sinister. You have to have like evil sounding voices, even though they're angels. I think you should do the opposite. I think you should have them all be like child actors <laughs> or like really like voice actors who are known for being very like chipper. <laughs> so okay. I'm like going vo- strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say whoever does the voice of Sonic uh, should, should be the leader of the angels. Hey, my name's Seraph, and I'm in a hurry to <laughs> yeah. kill you. You know what? Let's just get the whole voice cast of Sonic. Let's just get Tails in here. Let's get uh, Big <gasps> the Cat. Knuckles, Knuckles could be Daedalus. Yeah. yeah. Big the Cat could be Talos. Talos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, would you want to live in this world? Um, I don't know enough about the greater world to really be able to answer that question. Um, I guess maybe assuming the, if like, I guess it depends on will these demons succeed in reigniting flame, the flame of hell? Cause like, let's say I, I, we don't know whether or not the angels uh, are like treating humanity well but i guess this this is really like i don't know are these kind gods or no like who do we who are we rooting for here well that's the thing so i would not want to live in this world my standard answer though if we're playing a game or we're watching a movie where there's any kind of an afterlife or ghosts Mm -hmm. i would want to live in the world because there's a guaranteed afterlife yeah however uh in this one the angels seem like dicks yeah and plus they're like constantly at war there might be collateral damage like i might if i if i believe in the idea of heaven that I will have life eternal. I feel like maybe something could go wrong. I could be uh, collateral damage as a part of this ongoing war. Or yeah. What if you get drafted? What if there's like a draft? Right. And maybe that's why all these creatures are humanoid because right. they're humans. Yeah. I mean, my, my gut instinct is no, I do not want to live in this world at all. No, um, no. But I wanted to, to see if we knew more about it, but not yeah. really. The fan fiction corner was a real disappointment this week. I found nothing. I found nothing. And what I think is strange is I think this warrants fan fiction. You know, yeah. I, I'm I'm not a huge fan fiction guy, but I think there's enough going on here where you could, yeah. you could tell a compelling, like again, Mad Max Fury Road-esque fan fiction about this this train run through hell. Or see above. Also, we want to know what else is going on in the world and what just, what else is happening in heaven. Are these guys actually dicks? Are we the bad guys? Who knows? What did Peter Laurie do to wind up in hell? I want to <laughs> know. Um, Who says he's in hell? 
Well, if he's a voice actor for one. <laughs> oh no, he's an angel. That's right. That's right. No, no. Um, I mean, I I just meant like. I thought you were. Oh no, about I know. I just like actor Peter like, Laurie has died and is in hell currently. Oh no, I I just like imagining that Peter Laurie's in hell for various reasons. Oh. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I I found three things uh, that I put in the outline. They're they're visual in nature. So why don't you describe each one? They gave These me are what quite I, a chuckle. Uh, quite a chuckle. Um, yeah, when I I searched Monster Train fan fiction, found nothing, and I went to Google Images, so I did find a few things. This is almost like this is. I feel like we're wasting people's time with this, but it's pretty fun. All right, so the first one is clearly the cover of a children's book called Monster Trains. Monster uh, Trains. Monster Trains with a tr- with an S. Uh, which looks like gripping, uh, gripping reading. Yeah. Um, the second is looks like this like deranged like steel locomotive with like arms coming out of like yeah. a smokestack <laughs> and the f- the front lights or something. <laughs> it's a real monster train. It's a real monster train. Uh, podcasting is a is not a visual. Medium. It's really not a visual medium. Uh, the second or the third is called the Midnight Monster Train, which is a children's book that I definitely recognize but have not read. It might have been after did, after my time. I did not recognize it, nor have I read it. Okay. Um, but the the train looks very sinister. It has like the headlights are the eyes, and then there's like there's like teeth. <laughs> a little bit, Do and you that's your fan fiction. <laughs> Yeah, and sorry guys, that's what you get for fan fiction this week. Like I said, I think it I totally think it should exist. I don't know why, I don't know why it's not there. What's your favorite monster train in all fiction? Would it be the train say, in Final Fantasy VI? No, the, no, I'm gonna say Blaine Blaine the Mono Train from the Dark Tower series. Oh, I don't I don't know what that is. Well, you should read Dark Tower because Blaine Blaine the Mono Train is quite the sinister train. Maybe I should. Also, I just looked it up. I am completely wrong. I don't know how I thought I recognized the Midnight Monster Train. That book was published in 2020. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you were just at a library and you didn't realize it. Maybe. Not that you were, you didn't realize, you realized you were at the library, but maybe I you actually, didn't realize you were looking at the Midnight Monster. No, I have this thing where space and time kind of like keep shifting and I suddenly appear in places and don't know why i'm there you go into fugue states and you wind up at the children's section of the library yeah it's really a miracle it hasn't happened during recording or that you haven't gotten arrested (laughs) yeah (laughs) um well i think that's all that's that's it for our friend monster train would you say yeah it is it is Uh, our good our dear good friend monster train that (laughs) we both very much recommend you be friends with too yes i agree i could not agree more yeah. Um, what have you been doing? Um, really no video gaming except for Monster Train. Uh, and I've been replaying Banjo-Tooie with uh, my brother Tom, which has been fun. Oh, so you lied. Because <laughs> you said you hadn't been playing video games. Yeah, and th- yeah, yeah. You know what? Yes, I lied. I lied to you. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> on purpose, too, I was because I'm just <laughs> such a bad person. Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies. Uh, I, I've been put, watching One Piece as always. I didn't. I don't think I mentioned this last week, and I'd like to mention it this week. Spy Family is a mm. absolutely delightfully fun and funny anime. Miranda and I love it. Uh, I believe the finale of the first half of the first season airs tonight, and then it comes back in October. I can't wait. It is absolutely delightful. The main um girl character um this like little child um is my like one of my favorite anime characters ever already 
She is so, <laughs> so funny. I don't want to spoil anything about the show, um, but I just, I highly recommend it. Um, I've watched a lot of movies. I watched, uh, let's see, I watched RRR, which is, yeah, it was awesome. Tell me about it. It was, it was three hours, but I can tell you, I could have watched another hour of it. Um, it is an Indian, uh, like epic action movie, like historical fiction. It's yeah. It's based on like two re- actual revolutionaries, I think, but it's like a completely fictionalized telling of like them being friends. And they're basically like superheroes in the movie. <laughs> like the kind of shit that happens in this movie is absolutely insane. The action sequences are awesome. Sometimes the CGI is quite bad. But if you put this next to some of the modern Marvel movies, which have also had some pretty bad CGI, um, really this movie makes, and this is not an original thought. This is some, uh, something I've also seen in kind of reading criticism of the movie um, or just things like praising the movie is it really does make a lot of modern American blockbusters look like shit, like look like they're unoriginal, like the action sequences are generic, like this movie is so damn fun and I couldn't recommend it enough. I've um, seen a lot of things about it and I definitely want to check it out. The uh, I'll, I'll mention two other things I watched. Well, I rewatched The Fugitive. So then I'll, I'll mention two other things I rewatched um, for the first time in quite a while. The first was Stanley Kubrick's movie, Barry Lyndon, which is a hard movie to rewatch because it's three hours and it is one of the slowest paced movies. But I think it's great. I liked it a lot more this time than I did before um i rewatched it because some friends of mine they have a po- uh, podcast called uh not another film podcast not podcast but podcast um they're they they're currently doing a run of stanley kubrick movies and i like really recommend uh you check them out um they're really fun I really like what they've been saying about all these movies. They've been making me really want to rewatch all these Kubrick movies. They've also done quite a lot of other movies as well. I will, I think, hopefully be on their show to talk about The Shining later this year, oh. probably around Halloween. Um, I also want to do The Shining for this show, too. Yeah, uh, well, it's we, we've, we've got to do it. Um, but yeah, Barry Lyndon is, is, is a really like great satire of kind of the stupidity of how things were in uh, in Europe in like the 1700s, especially like uh, amongst like nobles and such. Um, Very, very good movie. Very, very hard to find three hours to sit through it. It definitely feels like a longer than three hours. Um, But if you can make it through, I recommend it. The other is one of my favorite movies uh, I've probably seen in in my life. I mean, not like top 10, but maybe like maybe top 20 is a movie called Caché. I don't actually know how to pronounce it exactly. Um, it's a French title. Um, it is about this uh, French couple living in Paris who start receiving these videotapes of kind of just like someone filming them, but not like filming them as they go about their day. Like they, the first, like they receive a tape of just like a camera outside, like just showing their the front of their house for like 20 minutes straight. And this kind of like paranoia starts growing and they try to start figuring out who could be doing this to them, whether it's a threat, like what are they trying to convey to them? It's very, very exciting um, mystery film that does not play out in a way that you might think. And it's it really very, um, think a lot. 
that's very lost highway, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and that, that, that aspect of lost highway is very similar to it. I would say lost highway is more overtly sinister and well, kind of yeah. horror like this is a yeah. little bit less so, um, but definitely no less interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. How about you? Uh, I finished one piece. Oh, um, I am now current with one piece. Really? So you, you told him to finish uh, the entire series and you read all of those too. All of the, all of which all of one piece. You, you said you I've, finished one piece. I've read all of it. And then so I you, so you, Oda and yeah. he told me how it ends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you've read, all, you've read stuff he hasn't written yet. Well, no, he wrote it. He actually wrote all of one piece in a weekend and he's been slowly releasing chapter by chapter. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I tried to catch um, you in a lie, but I guess I didn't succeed. We're both uh, liars. Um, no, I'm, I'm all caught up on One Piece, uh, which is congrats. nice. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, it's actually very convenient because um, now that I'm current, uh, the current story arc like literally just ended the chapter before the, the most recent chapter. So this is a good stopping point. So I'm going to leave One Piece for a while, let it build up chapters, and then I will come back to it. Um, I've reached a natural stopping point, which is good. Yeah, um, nice. I've also been playing through Xenoblade Chronicles um, on the Switch uh, in anticipation of Xenoblade Chronicles 3 coming out. Um, the Xenoblade Chronicles movies, or games rather, <laughs> uh, they seem disconnected at first, but one and two are weirdly a little bit connected. Um, so I played two recently, uh, relatively recently. I wanted to go back and play one so that if there's any references to one or two in three, um, I, I will catch them. Um, so I'm excited about that. That comes out, I believe, July 29th. Um, I've also been playing a ton of Splatoon, um, Splatoon 2 rather, also because Splatoon 3 is coming out in September and will kind of obviate Splatoon 2. So I want to get as much Splatoon 2 action as I can get before it becomes completely fucking worthless. <laughs> um, can I also say that uh, Luffy uh, in One Piece, uh, you know, with the enemies he fights, they could be real Grinches. Yeah. They can be some real Grinch characters, you know. They're not happy with Luffy beating them up. <laughs> what? What is? How would you define a Grinch? Now, is a Grinch just a grumpy person? Yeah, isn't that always the Grinch? The Grinch I, is always a grumpy. It's person. kind of been synonymous, I guess. Like if you, but it's like calling people a Scrooge. It seems like it's basically the same thing, right? It is the same. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I don't know why, but Scrooge to me seems very Christmas themed. Grinch, even though it's very Christmas themed, I feel like you could call someone a Grinch at any time of the year. That's a good point. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess maybe listen next week or don't. I mean, it's your life. Please do. Okay. I mean, no, you know, who are we doing this for? <laughs> All three people who listen. Yeah, I think mostly ourselves. I hey, that's I'm fine with that. Yeah, but you know, it, so I, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, so I, a coworker of mine, found out um, that I was doing a podcast, and he asked me to send him an episode, or I sent him something. I forget which episode I sent him, but like, I mean, he's not a like a video game guy, uh, and but he loves, he loves movies. And I think I sent him something along those lines. Maybe it might have even been the star Wars episode or something. And he's always been, he's, he's I just want to say he's a very nice guy. Um, he's, he's great to work with. He's, he's always been very um, blunt with his uh, feedback in both work professionally and personally. 
And I, I thought it was very funny. Uh, I don't even know if he's going to hear this or not, but it's okay. Um, where he, he approached me and he said, Hey, I checked out your podcast. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just being honest with you? Not for me. And I, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Um, I found that to be very, very amusing. And I imagine that some others might feel the same, but um, I actually wanted to tell you, and this is kind of us just, you know, tuning our own horn. I received some very positive feedback on our online gaming episode. Really? I yeah. From people who uh, similarly believe that Fortnite is the downfall. <laughs> the downfall <laughs> they, of they, all gaming. Yeah. They just kind of appreciated our, our, our lack of knowledge and, but yet um, very biased distaste for very an entire genre of, <laughs> yeah, of, of online gaming. And so I, I wanted to, to share that uh, feedback with you. I don't think I was ever angrier than I was in that episode. I think so. I think one of our goals should be to find something to talk about where we're just as angry about it. I thought that I was going to be able to muster that anger in cats, but I think I felt so defeated. I kind of felt like humanity had lost a war against creative uh, of like a lack of creativity. And I was just so defeated and I and like had given up. Well, I mean, speaking of terrible quality movies, should we talk about what we're doing next week? Get um, the fuck out Beverly, of here. Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2. <laughs> I thought you were actually going to talk about like <laughs> what movie we're actually doing next week. No, should we leave it a surprise? Yeah, let's leave it as a surprise. All right, perfect. All right, you, all right, you crazy kids. Come back and listen next week. Bye.